0: So hopefully we are live. Hopefully people in the chat uh, on YouTube can see us. And if you're listening to us or watching us later, then welcome. Um, Welcome to the Scripts and Scribes live stream. It's our eighth show. So we're still sort of in the early stages of it, but hopefully things are going well. Every once in a while we have a technical issue. Hopefully that won't be an issue today. Um, So thank you for spending part of your Saturday with us. If you're watching us live or whether you're watching or listening to us later, um, we hope your writing is going well. Um, Before we get started today Uh, next Saturday we've got a live stream and we're talking the manager client relationship with lit manager Scott Carr and his client Jonathan Stokes Uh, Jonathan's a writer who had who's had five scripts on the prestigious blacklist not the paid service but the annual blacklist which is pretty impressive Uh, a film he wrote and directed called Wildcat will be released in select theaters and on Apple Plus later this month he's also sold scripts or been hired to write on OWA for Fox Paramount Universal New Line Warner Brothers and many others so if you want to know what a manager client relationship is like, what's expected of each of them, how they work together to build a client's career, and more. Join us next Saturday, April 10th at 11 a.m. Pacific time. Um, but today, we've got on three terrific guests, all of whom are veteran support staffers and talented writers in their own right. We'll be talking to them about breaking into the industry via the assistant route. Um, Our first guest is a graduate of Boston University, uh, majoring in film and television. She started her career working as an assistant at an agency before jumping into the world of scripted television drama, working as the showrunner's assistant on Sleepy Hollow, Iron Fist, and the upcoming Netflix series Shadow and Bone. She is currently a writer's assistant on a new unannounced Netflix project, and secretary of the Los Angeles drama Critics circle, Erin Conley. Welcome, Erin.
1: Hi, thank you for having me.
0: Uh, next up is a Chicago-trained comedy writer and performer who has showcased her talents at Second City, I.O. Chicago, and The Groundlings. She studied television drama production at DePaul University and has been the showrunner's assistant on NBC's comedy Sunnyside and the ABC pilot Bucktown. She's also a contributing writer to Click Hole and Reductress and has placed in the Austin Screenplay Competition and the A-List Competition for Industry Assistance. She is Shelby Enloe. Welcome, Shelby.
2: Hi, thank you.
0: And lastly, but not leastly, is a writer whose work has been screened at film festivals spanning 20 countries and counting, uh, which I was impressed to find out. He's also been a finalist in Film Independence Episodic Lab and the Producer Guild of America's Make Your Mark film competition. Most recently, he's been the writer's assistant for USA Network's Dare Me and for the upcoming Amazon Prime drama, Paper Girls. He is Ed McCarthy. Welcome back, Ed. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Kevin. Thank you guys for joining us today. Uh, I'm sure we have we'll have lots of questions about uh, the assistant route. But one thing that I noticed is something that I don't know if a lot of emerging newer writers realize. Just by listening to your bios, the assistant job and I I spoke to Aaron about this earlier. Aaron and I are both started off as assistants at an agency. And that's a position where you can obviously start off very Inexperience, like if you just got out of college, that's a job that you can aspire to get and legitimately get and work in. But working as a TV assistant is a little bit different at the level that you guys work at. Um, you can tell by your backgrounds, you have a tremendous amount of training and experience. And so I wanted to get into that as well, what's involved in doing and being a uh, television support staffer, which I think is probably a more apt position, because there are PAs, office PAs, which you probably can get a job starting uh, as a college graduate. But before we get into all of the talk about the actual job, how to find them and things like that, I wanted to start off with each of you guys. We'll go one by one to find out how you individually got your break uh, into the industry and specifically into the writer's room. So maybe we'll start with Aaron since you're in the upper left corner of my screen anyway. Uh, so Aaron, can you tell us a little bit about how you got into the industry and then specifically got your break into the writer's room, how you got your first job as a support staffer?
1: Yeah, so I, as you mentioned, I graduated from BU. I did the film and TV program, and I also um, did a, their BU LA program while I was in school, where you kind of come out to LA and do internships and kind of get the lay of the land. And then I moved back um, two weeks after I graduated, um, which is coming up very quickly on 10 years ago now. And I just started applying for every industry job I could. At that point I did, I've, I've always been a writer. I've always been writing stories since I was a little kid. And I knew at that point that I wanted to write, but I also knew I really needed a job and that breaking in directly to something connected to writing would be very difficult so at first i just cast a wide net i think i applied for over 200 jobs i went on like 20 interviews and at first i did a couple of little temp things in reality TV and the where i really landed was i got an assistant position at a boutique agency and i think it was a great learning experience i mean i think working as an agency assistant is kind of like assistant boot camp like you just it's very high volume and fast paced, and you learn a lot about how to be a great assistant. Um, But at the same time, I was working for an agent who represented people in unscripted and talk shows. And I knew that I wasn't making the connections I needed to get to a writer's room. I really wasn't, that that route wasn't going to get me there unless I wanted to be an agent, which I did not want to be. So eventually I just, I started, after I put in about a year and a half there, I started putting feelers out and it was through a friend from college who was working as a script coordinator on a network drama called Person of Interest, who brought me in for a post-production assistant interview. And it wasn't quite the writer's office, but it was in the same space. Like we shared a floor with the writer's office. So I was like, you know, this is great. I can get into scripted TV. I can learn some new things. I can still get to meet the people on the side of things that I'm really interested in. And I ended up staying there for two seasons. I learned a ton about post and the way a show works. And then after that, it just there wasn't quite the opportunity to move to the writer's side. So I decided to kind of take my chances and leave before the final season and just really look for a writer's PA job. And it took a couple of months but I did find one. Um, the show did not last very long. Um, that happened through another connection from college. And I was it was only about three months and we got canceled. but at that point I, Finally had that writer's room support staff job on my resume, and I was able to get in for a showrunner's assistant interview, and I was hired in the interview, and the rest is kind of history. And then from there, I spent about five years as a showrunner's assistant on three different shows, and then recently I was bumped to writer's assistant, and now I'm working in that role.
0: Great. Great um okay shelby let us tell us a little bit about your background and how you got your first gig and how you got your first gig in an actual writer's room
2: um sure so i started um i i when i came out here i was like on an la quarter program with my college um and it was just like for the last semester of my senior year and they're like you want to do it in the spring because if you get a job you want to be able to stay you know um so that's what i did and i interned at funny or die and um a management company called odenkirk brocero and they're a comedy focused management company so you know like both kevin and aaron i started in representation and i you know like aaron said it's a great crash course in how to be an assistant because you're kind of an assistant to like your boss plus like 15 other people you work with really closely and (laughs) everything will be easy after that kind of like uh, everything's been easy after that to me um i remember showing up for my first day as a showrunner's assistant and the phone wasn't even set up yet and i kept like waiting for the phone to ring i was like you know i was so like on the edge of my seat um and it never did um and so <laughs> i was interning there and i got really incredibly lucky in that two of the talent it was a small company it was only 10 people and two of the talent assistants were leaving at the same time and they were kind of like you know we need to find people and i you know did not have enough experience for that job they wanted somebody from an agency usually you know at that kind of management company and I literally went into my exit interview and begged for a job and i had like written out all these talking points for myself of like why i would be good <laughs> and i and i was and i am someone who does not at all like to advocate for themselves at all i'm from the midwest it feels like a million tiny paper cuts to my heart to like advocate for myself so um it was very hard but it ended up working out and they hired me um and i think i was just as surprised as they were that they. Did. <laughs> And so I went back to Chicago that weekend and I changed my flight to come back early. And I started, so I went back Friday, walked across the stage and then started Monday morning. Um, thoroughly freaked out, but I, luckily I caught on, you know, in a month or two, <laughs> it was a learning curve, but I caught on. And um, I had a great time. Like everybody was super nice. And luckily because it was a management company in the com. the comedy world i was making connections that i needed and wanted um so i was there including an internship i was there for two years and um i ended up finding my opportunity as a showrunner's assistant through my friend uh whose friend was a showrunner's assistant and she was getting um bumped up to writer's assistant she's like do you want to come interview and I, ended up, I interviewed with one person, and then I ended up working for his friend, Matt Murray, um, who's a very nice person. And uh, I was hired on for a show called Sunnyside at NBC. And so I was there for a year or so. And then now I'm on a pilot called Bucktown. Um, and that was through, uh, that was actually through, I found that opportunity through um, Odin Kirk Provisero. Mm. It was because they're producing it. And somebody in my writer's group now works over there. And he so he put out the little call to our Slack channel. And I was like, oh, I remember Emily, like, I'll, you know, throw my hat in the ring and see what works out. So, um, yeah, that's kind of been my journey from beginning to end out here Mm -hmm. so far.
0: That's great. Uh, Ed, how did you get your start in the industry and uh, your first uh, support staff position in the writer's room?
3: Yeah, um, similar to Aaron, I've been here almost 10 years. This October will mark 10 years that I moved here. Um, And um, I'm also a career switcher. So I started in education as a high school English teacher, fresh out of college uh, in New York. Um, And after a few years of that, I'm like, no, I can't do this. Um, So um, I knew I was going to be moving out here. I was actually in D.C. at the time getting an M.F.A. in creative writing. um, And I was geographically based then because of my Boyfriend now husband, um, but I knew ultimately I wanted to. This would have been my so, so for, I knew about a year before that I was going to be trying to move out here and make it happen. So uh, I didn't want to move here and be like, how am I going to pay rent next week? So I'm like, I got a second job. So I had a day job and a night job, and everything I earned at night I just put in savings. The day job paid bills, and I, you know, was my, I, I wanted to come up, you know, move out here and be like, I I'm okay for like four months, like where I don't have to you know, stress and I could just focus on, on trying to find a job and networking and things like that. So, so, um, and so that's why in October, uh, you know, it'll be 10 years, uh, but I moved out here October one and you know, it's, it's, it's literally, who do I know? And you have to look at, you know, what friends I have, what friends do, do they have, you know, kind of a thing. And so I was fortunate that, um, one of my, uh, screenwriting professors for my MFA, Program who uh, really liked me and my writing um, knew some people out here and set up some meetings for me. Um, one of those meetings led to an unpaid internship, um, which you know this is a year or two before a lot of those unpaid internships were rightfully squashed. But I did benefit from from one of them at a small production company, um, and and yeah and you know, I was, I was fortunate, I was interning with people almost 10 years, my, my younger, and I was fine with it. And, and, you know, it led to a a couple months later, they hired me. um, And I also started in post. So for a year or so, I was in the post world. um, And, and over the next five-ish years, give or take, you know, I, I I moved from post to development to a little bit of production. And then you know i i you know had uh some freelance gigs at line producing you know so I, I was swinging from wherever the gig was kind of a thing um and so but because of that i i literally from the idea of some developments to a distribution i've some experience in all areas um including producing my you know some of my own shorts um and you know a few years ago uh it led to uh, a writer who I'm, you know, met early on, you know, and you know, you keep tabs, and every once in a while, I'll grab a drink or something like that, you know, was gonna get her first show, co-show running with someone, and she said, hey, you know, I can bring you in to, to meet with a co-show runner and talk about the writer's system gig, and I said, sure, absolutely, because um, uh, she knew TV writing was where I wanted to be, uh, so I, I interviewed and I started uh, the following Monday, you know, um, and and that was for Dare Me, It was a USA Network um, drama um, that was released a, couple of years, a year and a half, two years ago. Um, unfortunately, didn't get a season two. Uh, but, but so, but and then uh, you know when that was done, you, hey, you email, text, call everybody that you have a good relationship with, saying, hey, this gig's coming to a close. I'm available. What do you have? You know, and that led to. You know, introductions and, and me getting the writer's assistant gig on on Amazon's Paper Girls. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so so that's kind of in a nutshell. It's it's similar. It's it's fostering relationships and and nurturing those relationships and making them genuine relationships. Um, and and ultimately, it's a long game. You know, you know when you hear like showrunners' assistant, writers' assistant, stuff like that, assistant is usually seen as an entry level position but the strange thing and when it comes to support staff, it's kind of not, mm-hmm. um, you know, um, and, and I think that's the confusion sometimes, like where someone fresh out of college would be like, I'm going to get a writer assistant gig. And it's like, you're lucky. You might, you know, you might get lucky. You might be the one lucky one. Um, but probably
0: not. Right. Yeah. And in addition to sort of that resume being thin, if you're coming out of college, going to a showrunner, to try to be hired as a showrunner's assistant or a writer's assistant, in addition to that sort of not being ideal uh, for most positions, I would think, unless you're, you know, someone already, you know, Oh, yeah, my dad is the, you know, uh, head of the network or whatever. (laughs) Then, of course, you know, it's a different story. But one question we get asked a lot, I mean, a lot for obvious reasons, is how do I find one of these positions? And I know each of you had mentioned a specific case where you had to network. You know, you were either just starting off or in between a gig, like your show didn't get picked up or whatever. And you, uh, like Shelby's case, you, uh, through your uh, odenkirk -Odenkirk Provisero connections, you saw a position opening. Or um, in Ed's case, you just put out the feelers everywhere with your network. What advice do you have for those writers out there who are looking for a, a position like this, may have some experience? How? Because there very rarely does it make... T- There's no job board specifically for assistance like this. Most of it's through word of mouth. Uh, and maybe every once in a blue moon you'll see something on the UTA job list, but that's probably posted weeks ago and they, very likely they already have a lot of applicants, if not someone chosen. What is your advice to those out there who want to try to break in via the assistant? Because, you know, there's only a handful of sort of structured routes in, whether it's, you know, through the fellowships, whether it's, you know, writing your own spec pilots and getting representation and then trying to take as million showrunner meetings. And hopefully you click somewhere along the line and they happen to be looking for someone just like you or. The tried and true quote unquote assistant route, support staffer route, it's probably a better title for it. The support staffer route where you, you know, earn your stripes through working in the trenches on shows, getting experience, meeting not just industry connections, but connections within television, specifically on that show. If it gets picked up, if your showrunner is willing to hire from within, because many are, but many are not. Um, What is your advice for those who are looking for those jobs, think that this may be the route that I want to take, because one, I can pay my bills, um, sort of, (laughs) while I'm working uh, and meeting people and learning about television? Um, Maybe we'll start with Aaron. What advice would you have for those writers out there who want to try this route, try to get a support staff job?
1: Yeah, well, I think there's been a lot of talk, especially recently about the ways that the assistant route has changed Mm -hmm. and become more difficult. And I do think that that's the reality. I think it's changed a lot, even in the 10 years I've been out here. And I don't like to sugarcoat that for people. You know, I think that it's gotten tougher. I think with streaming, the seasons are shorter. There's fewer episodes. There's longer gaps between seasons. It's not, it's even less stable than it used to be. And it used to be pretty unstable. Um, but I still personally believe that it's the best chance you have in terms of the different options of the routes you can go. I think in terms of people that I personally know who have gotten staffed on a show, I would say that the vast majority of them did so after putting in time as an assistant and getting promoted. So I do think if you are fortunate enough to be able to pursue this route, which is very difficult and low paying and long hours and unfortunately not an option for everyone, because there's a lot of barriers in this industry. I think that it is kind of the close, there is no sure thing, you know, there's no guarantee for anyone, but I do think the odds are the highest um, for people who go through that route. And then I would say my advice is really, I mean, you don't like to say it is about who you know, but it kind of is. And I think a great place to start if you're coming out here is with your alumni network. If you went to a college where there's people in LA, I mean, I think for me, that was a big part of coming out as I had friends who were a year or two years ahead of me who have been out here and started, were working in the industry. And I think that that's a great place to start. And I think that if you don't have that, there are organizations that exist, like there's things like JHRTS and there's various Facebook groups. And usually like even like alumni groups have a Facebook group. There's assistant Facebook groups you can get into once you have a little bit of experience under your belt. And so I really think that it's just about networking. And I think you kind of have to start with what you have, which is if you know anyone who's already here, um, you can start with them and just start telling people what your goals are. Start telling people what you wanna do. If you're looking for a support staff job, just put that out into the world. And so people will remember you when they hear about those opportunities. Mm -hmm.
0: Um, Shelby, how about you? Do you have any advice for those writers out there who are trying to find a support staff job thinking that that's probably the best route for them?
2: Um, yeah. I I really like to tell people, particularly in comedy, to try and... Um, uh, <laughs> my roommate's here. <laughs> she was scared to come in the kitchen. I was like, it's okay. <laughs> um, I tell people to join communities of people who wanna do the same thing that you do. Um, for me, like it was really helpful to do Second City and IO and Chicago and, you know, the groundlings out here, you know, not only does it, is it something that you can put on your resume that is like a legitimate training, but also, you know, you meet friends there who, you know, Hey, I mean, it's nice to hang out with people out here cause it's a lonely city um but you know it's like they want to be doing the same things that you do and so you can kind of pull each other up um you know same thing like when i was writing for click that was i think one of the most challenging things when you're trying to become a writer is trying to see trying to get people to see you legitimately and particularly when you're trying to make the jump from assistant to writer you're like how can i get people to take me seriously well people have already been paying you in some capacity to write, you know, and you can put that on your resume, you know, awesome. (laughs) So, you know, trying to find other opportunities to legitimize yourself and how, you know, like, and what you want to do is really helpful. Joining communities of people who want to do the same thing. You know, I joined a writer's group out here about a year ago with some college friends who were starting one, and it's been really helpful trying to like, keep me on track um, and keep me you know doing stuff when the world is aflame and you you know don't want to literally do anything um so yeah i might that's the two main pieces of advice i have is to join you know communities of writers groups or training centers um and you know find other opportunities to you know legitimize yourself as a writer
0: mm-hmm. uh, that was great especially about comedy troops uh William Angel from the chat agrees with you. That's so true. Comedy troops. Um, So it's good. And then I think it's also great that we've got actually uh, drama people and comedy people in here in this chat. Um, Ed, uh, advice. What do you got? I'm going to, you know, echo a lot of what Shelby and Aaron have said. Um,
3: uh, You know, I do agree that with what Aaron said, like the industry has changed a great deal in the last 10 years. Uh, The streamers and, and short order programs have really Hurt the support staff world uh, a great deal because there are fewer episodes, so no freelance really. Um, and there's at least some, for some shows a year hiatus. And as support staff, you're like, I I can't, I can't live. So then you have to find a new gig and you're starting over from square one. And then you're not available if there's a second. So and if there is a second season, it's like we, we can't add to writing staff because there are so few episodes. Um, you know, so so it, I do think it's and also I feel like you know um and this is not not bad it's just the reality that a lot of people are coming from outside the industry I think more than they were 10 years ago like you know um you know playwrights novelists graphic you know comic book writers um so there's this other sideways entrance um and I'm not saying that's bad it's just the reality of the situation um that that I I I think you know so that the path is is difficult um but it's possible and I think that you, going into it with no blinders on is 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 healthy for your mental health you mm-hmm. know um and and so it's a long game it's 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 not a sprint it's a marathon i know that's cliche but it's it's accurate uh so and it's and it's all about i think forming the genuine connections. what i said before and genuine networking um i know a lot of places have these like mixers and you know networking at a bar and stuff and i i tried those when i first moved out and i was so i was like i drinking a glass of wine in the corner going like I need to get out of here because i don't know what i'm i i'm i'm socially awkward sometimes <laughs> but so i'm like i so it's about how do i find these genuine connections? so it's about okay who am i i'm a drama writer i'm a gay man i'm that so you find okay so you do some internet searching and be like what organizations out there fit me you know um you know so Uh, depending on who you are and 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 your background there are a lot of organizations here that you can join um you know or that hold events so instead of going to a general writing mixer event you can go to a mixer that a little bit is is more who you are um, as a person or as a writer um and that's one way to start forming genuine connections i i think what what shelby said earlier you know finding a writing group um is great because you're all in a similar situation and you all want success Um, and, you know, if you're in a group of a handful of people over a year or two, one of those people gets some, you know, fire under, under them, you know, they sometimes can help you out. And it's not it's because there's genuine friendship there. Um, and, and this industry, you kind of want to help the people who helped you also, um, you know, when you have the opportunity to, to, to you know, um, pay it forward. Um, also, this might sound obvious, but you've got to right. You know, um, often like if we're all support staff and, and we want to we want to be writers, and you never know when someone's going to be like, oh, okay, send me something, I'll read it, and you'd be surprised how many people are like, well, I'm working on something, and it's I'll, I'll send it to you when I'm done, and it's like you got to have something, <laughs> so so you always need to be working on on your own stuff, which feels like the obvious thing to say, but a lot of people I think put so much focus on I don't know they they don't focus enough on on their writing because that's the only literally the only thing you have 100 control over Mm -hmm. is your writing you know you you go into a job interview, you don't know if you're going to be hired you put your best you know I've left interviews going nailed it and they're like peace out and I'm like (laughs) um you know and the opposite has happened I'm like I screwed that up and they're like hey can you I'm like all right um but that's the only thing you have control over so you should always try to be working on something new um, and cause you don't want to be like, oh, send me something and you're like, oh, I have this. They might be like, oh, I'm not, what else do you have? Cause I'm not interested. So you always want to have a couple samples at least that you think are fresh
0: and current and you know, um, yeah. So my next question, which you just brought up, uh, wonderfully, got a great segue. Thanks, Ed. Uh, I should have you on all the time. You can always give me that segue is writing now. Specifically for you guys, but also for anyone with a full-time job, how is it, because you guys are support staffers with a full-time, oftentimes more than full-time job, how do you find time or make time to also write in your spare time? Um, So uh, maybe Aaron, you could start with, uh, how do you find time to write while also having a full-time job as a support staffer?
1: I think it it can be really challenging, I mean, especially depending on the show that you're working on. I mean, I think some shows are a lot crazier than others, you know, and a lot more hectic than others. Um, Occasionally, you might get lucky and you have, like my first showroom assistant job, my boss told me flat out, it's not always going to be super busy, use the time to write when you have it during the day. And like, that's amazing, but I think that's the exception, not the rule. Um, For me, I know, I think so when I was working that post PA job, it was very, very long hours. I was very burnt out. And the thing that I was feeling very frustrated by is that I wasn't writing because I just didn't have the energy after coming home after such a long work day. I didn't have the time. And I, um, so I, what I ended up doing is I started a blog just for myself as like a writing exercise. I was like, if I commit to posting like one thing a week, then at least I know that I'm writing something. And for me, that was it was often about theater because I grew up in upstate New York. I was a couple hours from the city. I just always loved theater. And so I started seeing a lot of stuff in LA. I would just start writing about it on my site. And then eventually that kind of snowballed and publicists started reaching out to me and I became more of a formal theater critic. And so that turned, you know, that was not something I planned on but it turned into being a great way to exercise a different writing muscle aside from just writing pilots and screenplays and also to just be consistent and kind of have like self-made deadlines for myself and so that was great and then that actually like recently led to an opportunity to write a podcast um that came out through a person that i met through the world of theater writing so i mean i think that you kind of have to carve out your own writing opportunities outside of shows and then i think in terms of writing samples i think ed is 100 percent right you have to have strong samples that you believe in ready to go at any time because if somebody who is a writer on a show or a showrunner asks you to read something they might not ask twice so you need to be ready for that moment and i also agree that i think having more than one sample is important i mean i know for me when i signed with the manager she really responded to one sample but also asked do you have anything else and I sent a second one before my meeting with her and granted I don't know I I know plenty of people who got representation or other opportunities off of just one strong sample but I think it's always best to be a little bit over prepared Um, and I do think that uh, one of the benefits of the sometimes hiatus between seasons if you are able to afford to have an even a couple weeks in between without needing to get any other job you can, I think that that's honestly, when I've gotten some of my best writing done, I've often written my samples during the time between seasons, um, because it can be very difficult. But I think you just have to be disciplined. And I think also, if you're writing something that you really love, at least for me, I think that that process can go very quickly.
0: Mm -hmm. How about you, Ed? How do you make time to write while you're uh, as a yeah, assistant,
3: I, I think it's just be honest with yourself. Um, you know, you, there are some part, parts to sometimes of the year because of your schedule, you're going to have better output. Um, you, and during those times of the year, you have to be honest, like, okay, I could devote like one day a week, maybe three hours on Sunday. And and that's all you could do. And and sometimes of the year, you're going to be like, I could have, you know, like, you know, was said that there's, you know, a hiatus. And like Aaron said, like sometimes you have a month off and you're like, this is my full-time job for this month or maybe part-time because I need to find a new gig so you know four hours a day (laughs) looking around or four hours a day trying to write Um, because I also fell and I I know I said you know you should always be writing but like Aaron said I fell for the thing and when I first moved here for the first couple years after I started getting some traction I was so busy I was working 12 plus hour days and I devoted all my attention to you you know to this because I thought like oh well you this will lead to other things and it's like oh no it's not i'm sacrificing me uh so it's about finding that balance um and and so you know there are some times of the year that i'm i'm writing a few hours a week and i have to be okay with that um as long as it's because i'm that's all i can manage with my with my job going on and stuff like that um and there's sometimes a the year where i'm like i could write 20 hours this week and i need to take advantage of that um but it also you know, I think what, when it comes to TV and I'm, I'm, I would assume feature writers as well, and you're trying to break in, you're literally writing for no one, right? Like you finish this project and you're going to be like, hey, my core group, do you mind reading this and giving me notes? And you're asking someone to read it and you're waiting for, and yes, you send it to fellowships and contests, and but you're, re- you're like writing it for like five people to read. It. and And, you know, that can start to weigh on you also. It's like, I'm writing for no one kind of a thing, you know, and there is that self satisfaction of finishing pilot and all that stuff. But, but so I had to branch out to other things as well. Like, that's why I'm like, I need to write a few shorts and and make them happen because I, I I need like stuff into the world. And I started getting into storytelling. Um, and so I, have done a few moth events and, and, you know, you know, won some of those and I've been on a moth radio hour. Um, and so, so that is like another creative outlet to get my voice, my writing out there that different than writing, um, you know, for TV. Um, But there's also that satisfaction of completion Mm
4: -hmm.
3: that you don't get so much. I mean, there's that satisfaction for finishing a pilot, but after the first initial reads and things like that, it's a file on your computer until someone has to read it, you know, and so with the other things and completing a short and doing some storytelling, there's that egotistical, you know, artistic satisfaction of completion. Cause there's an audience,
0: right? Um, and just as an FYI talking about technical things, I'm my camera keeps cutting off, and it's not something I'm doing, I'm not doing things behind the scenes. Uh, and so if I cuts off, I'll keep jumping back in anyway. That's just an aside. Uh, Shelby, how do you find time to write when you are on a gig? Um,
2: truly, whenever I can, like I remember I was writing a lot at Sunnyside too because I mean again it was like I was just so used to being so busy at work I couldn't do anything else and luckily I had some extra time you know on my hands there and so I would write at work or you know on the weekend sometimes but I also want to say like you know it's like I try to plan out kind of like a not a calendar for the year but you know when a new year comes around I'm like Okay, I know I want to write in pilot. Like I know I want to like do a second draft of that feature. I know I want to maybe write a new spec because some fellowships still require specs, but not a lot. Um, Or I want to do X, Y, and Z. And so I kind of in my have in my head like what I want to get done in the year, and whenever I can get that done, great. But if I'm not writing the whole year, that's totally fine. Like, you know, last year there were months at a time that I wasn't writing, and I was okay with that, you know, as long as I got, you know, three projects, four projects done or like, you know, sometimes I'll submit a packet to a late night show, you know, and it's just like, as long as I got what I wanted to done, you know, I'm at peace with myself because not a lot of people take time for input as well as output, you know, like sometimes you just don't have a new idea and instead of like working on a shitty one that you came up with like on the toilet sometimes good ideas come on the toilet don't discount all your toilet ideas but um is that what they're called
0: toilet ideas
2: (laughs) me personally yes um but you know i usually like sometimes i'll have an idea and i'll write it down but like it if i can't only i'll only start working on it if i like can't stop thinking about it and like because i really like to write around like things that i'm kind of obsessed over because like then i'll actually want to spend the time researching it and like getting it all right like my last one you know i didn't have an idea at the end like towards the end of last year and I just kept going on walks like around my neighborhood. And I, somebody was like, I heard like, so, you know, like the, that podcast, the rabbit hole is really good um, from New York times. And I started listening and it's all about like um, how algorithms can radicalize people. And hmm. eventually it becomes about QAnon which I'm obsessed with of course, but. Um. <laughs> Hopefully in so the I, good way. <laughs> yeah, not not in like a, I think it's correct. I, I I'm like watching from a bird's eye view being like, these people are cuckoo bonkers bananas. But, um, so I started listening to that and I was like, oh, wouldn't that be an interest? Cause I was like, I want to kind of write, write an animated idea. And I was like, trying to think of like what would serve like the lack of limitations of animation. And I was like someone getting sucked into their personal algorithm and then becoming radicalized through that. So I only had that idea because I was giving myself the time to walk around my neighborhood with my dog and listen to a podcast and, Mm. you know, it's just like, I think that finding your own interests and hobbies outside of writing is so important. Like I had a teacher at IO, I remember he was like, he was like, some of you guys need like some other hobbies. (laughs) Like, Even like, and he was just like, go take a class in archery. Like he was like always suggesting like random things, but it's true. Cause like, if you don't do anything else with your life, like, what are you, what are you going to write about that people relate to nothing? You Mm -hmm. know? So I think that's really important to take, you know, a month or two to yourself and like, just go live life. Like, Go find podcasts you love. Go find shows you love. Go find music you love. Music is really helpful for me. Like when I can't figure something out, if I find the right song for like the vibe, I'm immediately like ten pages down. Right. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so I think that's really. I think it's important to find the time to take off as well as you know to get stuff done.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, your which you had said actually leads to another question. I want to say we. I do have a few more questions about uh, support staff positions and things like that. You know what it entails, the hierarchy for the writers' room, but I do also want to open it up to some questions. So if you're in the chat, you should start dropping some questions. We'll start asking them. Um, but what Shelby, you had mentioned both writing television and some features. I don't know if if Aaron and uh, Ed have also dabbled in the feature side. I think most people have. If you're writing, you don't. Uh, most people are not solely targeted until you sort of um get a little further along but um, there's a question in the chat from william angel who asks for writers who want to stick with features and not television would you recommend still going the assistant route or is there another preferred route for feature writers i'm going to throw it at shelby since you had brought up writing you know both earlier on uh but if aaron or ed you actually have uh, similar ideas or experiences or uh, if you have thoughts on it as well, please chime in. Uh, so Shelby, what do you think? Is is being uh, a support staffer on a television show uh, beneficial for somebody who wants to write features?
2: Um, I think experience in all different parts of the industry is helpful no matter what you want to do because uh, as long as you're not working for a monster. If you're working for a monster, please leave. Don't put up with that. Um, <laughs> uh, but. You know, I, I think, you know, like my experience in representation, even though I didn't want to be a manager, like really helped me in TV, like seeing how things get sold or, you know, how that side of things work helps. You know, I, I, I admit I'm only writing a feature cause I, a company found me after I left click call and it's like kind of like an open writing assignment for them. So, and I'm not primarily interested in writing features, but. I always say like, and this comes from my improv experience of yes and, uh, you know, like say yes to stuff as if it interests you in any way. If it doesn't, if if it if you're like, ugh, that sounds like you know miserable, uh, you know, don't do it. But you know, if it sounds like it would be helpful enough, um, you know, I think education in all parts, different parts of the industry, are helpful to anybody. So. Mm-hmm.
0: Aaron or Ed, either of you dabbled in features?
3: Yeah, I mean, in terms of writing, yes, I have one feature that's old that's, you know, needs a lot of love and I've been dabbling in another one um, for the last year on and off. But um, I will say to that question though, if that person is only interested in writing features um, and they're offered, if they're offered a support staff role, like writer assistant, script coordinator, showrunner assistant, I might say think twice. for one reason if their path is not tv writing um they're kind of taking a job from someone who really wants that like so it's like um i mean yes if that's the only job they have and they need to pay the bill that's what they need to do but i would say try to find an assistant job in some other part of the industry in which what you're learning may be more transferable to the actual feature route and that can be in an agency where you have to you know work with for an agent who is dealing with talent. And that's, that's going to help you on the feature route, you know, um, you know, or a casting director or being an assistant for casting director somewhere or a financier or something like these are stuff that will help you, you know, um, from the business end uh, for doing features. But if you're offered something that is specifically on track for TV writers, maybe pause for a second, you know, we all have to pay the bills, we all have to take jobs that we don't want at certain times in our life. Um, That's the only thing I would say um, is do that. And also, you know, uh, there have been plenty of people who have made it as feature uh, writers slash directors who have, yeah, I don't know if they wanna be a director. That's one thing too, but but they've never had a system around. They've done shorts and, you know, uh, as you know, and had some splash that way and and some shorts are proof of concepts for features and that's how they've been able to do it. So if they're just a feature writer and not a director, maybe try to find a director who's trying mm-hmm. to establish him or herself or, or their self, depending on who they are. Um, and do a partnership that way and and try to get your creative voice out there as well Mm -hmm. um so that's the only other thing i'd add
1: yeah i would just i agree with everything that you guys just said i have always been pretty tv focused myself in terms of my writing but i agree i think support staff positions in particular should be they aren't always a route to tv to being staffed as a tv writer and i think that I think other industry assistant positions will be more beneficial for someone who's strictly interested in features. Like, I would encourage you to look for something, maybe in development, maybe at a production company, somewhere that's kind of making the type of content that interests you and see how you can get your foot in the door and learn about that side of things. I definitely think that being an assistant is still a great way to make connections, but I think. And I also think, I mean, TV support staff jobs are—they're tough. You know, they are kind of all-consuming. They require a lot of energy and enthusiasm. And I think if that's not—I think you really have to love it. And I think that if that's not where you see your future, you would probably burn out in a job like that without kind of having that end goal to shoot for.
0: Mm-hmm. And I would say, having worked at an agency that, and, and seen uh, and worked on features as as an assistant. I would say that unlike television, where television tends to hire from within, not necessarily every showrunner, but you tend to get hired from people you know that are working in television, somewhere along the lines. In features, that's not necessarily the case. Like uh, A producer of a feature is not necessarily looking at the assistants below them for the next great screenplay that they want to produce. That doesn't tend to happen. Uh, They're just making their film from a script that they bought or from a writer that they've worked with before uh, in OWA or whatever. But working at an agency, working at a a production company where they do television or a feature development, making those contacts, I think, is valuable because those are the buyers. Uh, But working in film – because everyone thinks that working in film production as an assistant, as a PA, as a – you know, I'm right there. I can just slip my script 99% 99% of the time that's not going to work out and they're not that interested. But in television, it can because you have a staff of writers, many of whom will go up, be, be promoted from, uh, you know, to the next level. And some of them will get their own shows, You're including your own showrunner. They're looking and they're looking for staff. So hopefully, you know, you can work your way in that way. But yeah, very rarely will producer go to a PA. On, hey, do you have a script I can read? That never happens. So, if you can get a job as an assistant at a production company, uh, develop you know as a development assistant as an, at an agency, that's different. I think that's a good route. Working actually in film production as a PA, office PA, set PA, it's not a route to becoming uh, a writer really. I mean, you can it's a good experience I think, and you can learn a lot. But as far as you know, moving your career forward, it's sort of limited. Uh, any connections you make are good. Uh, any network you build is good, but, yeah, there are probably better routes. Um, okay, so Ron Hatcher asks, uh, or says, I'm a 35-year-old going on 40. How much of this sagely advice applies to prospective TV writers my age? Shall I continue to pursue this dream, or should I wake up and smell the appropriate metaphor? Uh, who has a thought on this? Ed! Ed! I'm sorry. What was it? What was the person who wrote? What's his name? Ron.
3: Hi, Ron. Ron, R O N or R O D.
0: R O N. Ron. Ron. Yeah. Hi, Ron.
3: Um, I feel like you're my brother um, <laughs> because uh, I'm I'm in that you know I, I'm I'm a little bit older than you uh, if you're 35. Um, uh, but yeah, I'm a I'm a career switcher. I spent my the bulk of my 20s um, teaching high school English in Manhattan, um, and I'm not going to lie, it's difficult. Um, and ageism is real. Um, I, think as a, I, I think as a man, I probably experience it a, not to the same temperature as women, um, but I do feel it. Um, and, you know, I've had reps who politely say, I'm looking for this, you know, I'm looking for someone who's younger in their career, um, you know, or, or starting. I'm like, mm. you know, and, and I've, I've encountered it. Um, I think the question is, is this ultimately what you want to do? You know, um, the path is long, you know, um, you, you have to be, you know, I, I, consider myself with a fairly healthy ego. So when I was starting an assistant, I'm like, yeah, you want coffee? Sure. I don't care, you know, um, you know, and, and, you know, you have obviously life experience and professional experience that will help you. Um, and you know, when you enter this later. Um, but at the same time, you have to keep your ego in check because you're like, you know, you are starting from the lowest rung of the ladder again. Um, um, and you have to slowly climb up that ladder. So it's ultimately the question of how badly do you want it, Mm
4: -hmm.
3: you know? And, and only you can answer that question. Uh, for me, like I said earlier, this would have been my big what if question. If I had never tried this, I would look back, you know, as an old man going, what would have happened if, and that would have been my regret. I didn't want that what if question so that's why I kind of restructured my life to move out here Mm -hmm. um so but at the same time this is a lot harder than I thought it was going to be I knew you know you have this abstract idea like oh it's going to be hard but you know I got it you know and and then you hit here you're like I'm tired (laughs) you know but and but it's you know uh, in the scale it's it's tipping still so far and it was worth it um, not every day does it tip that way. But in the grand scheme of things, it's it was worth it. So I think
0: yeah, that's the only way to that, that's not an answer, but I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um Kiana asked, uh, do you guys have tips on making your resume stand out, especially straight out of college? I'm sure we've all not necessarily embellished, but uh, enhanced our resumes at some point when you're starting out. Does anyone have any tips on how to do that from someone who's straight out of college?
1: Um, I would say, well, A, I think honestly having nice formatting and something that kind of looks very organized and clean without typos and is looks good on the page, I think really helps. I also would say lead with any experience you have that could translate to entertainment. Like if you have internships in the industry, highlight that. If you don't, that's also okay, but say you even worked at an office on campus and you did assistant type tasks, like you answered phones and everything, you can highlight that because I mean those things do translate. And so I think just kind of try to lead with the parts of your experience that relate to the jobs that you're trying to get.
0: Mhm. Anyone else have a tip for enhancing your resume a little bit from kind of out of college, I should say.
3: I would say, especially if you feel like you're lacking the professional experience, um, look at have you volunteered? I mean, a lot of people don't consider that professional experience, but there are a lot of transferable skills when you volunteer, um, depending on what you're doing. and, and if you have anything creative, make sure you include that too. It's a professional, but it's also creative. So I know my resume, I always start with career high, uh, creative highlights and you're know, like five bullet points of you know, placing in this contest and doing this and do it. it's because you know, you, at the end of the day, that's what you wanna do. So mm-hmm. make sure you don't ignore that part too.
0: Just out of curiosity, have any of you guys worked as a writer's PA are you all showrunner's assistant, writer's assistant? You have. Okay, great. Because um, I wanted to really kind of just dive into the positions themselves. Uh, And maybe I could start with you, Aaron. What is a writer's PA and what is the job entitled? Because the hierarchy goes, obviously, an office PA, which is not necessarily in the writer's room. Then you have a writer's pa and then a showrunner's assistant that branches off but then the highest is writer's assistant because you're in the writer's room all the time so maybe as a resident former writer's pa uh you can tell us a little bit about that job what is a writer's pa and what does it entail
1: well i would say i always tell people that writer's pa is the entry-level job of the positions in a writer's room i still think that it there are certainly people who that's their first gig out of college and that's great. But typically a lot of times people want a little bit more experience, which I think is frustrating considering the pay that is offered for Mm -hmm. writer's PAs. Um, But I know for me, even because I was a post PA first and I was getting frustrated because a lot of places weren't even seeing post PA as valuable experience Mm -hmm. to translate to getting a writer's PA job when really the base tasks are exactly the same. Um, And they are, for the most part, you know, getting lunch, stocking the kitchen, making like getting everyone's lunch or picking it up every day. Obviously, a lot of this has changed in the last year with the pandemic, um, but that is the job in person and also um, keeping office supplies stocked. Um, a lot of times you might cover for the other assistants. You know, If anyone else needs backup, you might help take notes on a call. You may help cover the phones if the showrunner assistant has to go into a meeting. Um, if the writer's room splits into two rooms, you might take notes in a secondary room. I think, I think the job can really vary depending on the show, but at its base level, it really is getting lunch, getting coffee, making coffee in the office, stocking the fridge, um, cleaning up the room at the end of the day, making sure the writers have everything they need. You're really that first line of support for the entire writer's office.
4: Mm-hmm
0: okay and then moving on to showrunner's assistant maybe shelby you can tell us a little bit about the showrunner's assistant position and what that entails
2: um yeah i mean you're really just kind of tailored to the showrunner's needs i think it can kind of vary based on who you're working for um but usually you're taking notes on um, notes calls with the network and studio, um, you're managing their calendar, reminding them about stuff. Um, (laughs) you know, it's, it's a nice position to have if you want to be a writer and eventually a showrunner, because you kind of just follow them everywhere and you see what their schedule is like. You, you know, you, at, at least on a pilot, you can be with them on set. Um, you know and, it, and then you're doing odds and ends for them too you're um booking food trucks for set or you know you know helping get rep gifts or um assistant stuff like that but you know you can also fill in like I filled in for the writer's assistant before um and you're in a space that you know I you can help you can train with the script coordinator if you want to, like wherever I go, I'm always asking for script coordinating information because, mm-hmm. you know, it's a hard position to get and it's, it's hard. You know, I found it challenging to get the bump to writer's assistant because I've been looking for that, you know, ever since I became a showrunner's assistant, you know? And so it's, people always say, well, we want experience. And it's like the, you know, catch 22 thing of like need experience to get experience. <laughs> And so I'm always, you know, I think the best way to get the job that I always say the best way to get the job that you want is to already, you know, kind of be doing the job that you want on the side and know how to do that, you know, and have that ready to go. So, you know, you can fill in, you know, whenever is needed and you can, you know, um, prove that, you know, you're valuable and smart and you can get it done. So,
0: yeah. Mm You had mentioned script coordinator, uh, Shelby. And I've, again, I could be totally off base, but it, from all those that I've spoken to and those that I've seen in terms of getting promoted, uh, writers that seem to get promoted to staff writer f- or even freelance episode from support staff or tend to come from mostly writer's assistants, but also to some degree showrunner's assistants. I don't see as much from writer's PAs almost ever Uh, I'm not saying that it couldn't happen. I just don't hear about it very often. Or script coordinator. Script coordinator tends to be sort of an isolated niche that I don't hear as many stories of people getting promoted from. Have you guys seen that to be the case as well?
1: Um, I actually have several friends who have gotten staffed from being script coordinators. I actually think that what you're touching on is honestly a huge problem for people Mm. in that position and something that I know a lot of my friends who do that job are frustrated by Mm -hmm. is because the, the great thing, I think, about being a showroom assistant, for example, is that you're kind of on the longest of all the support staff jobs. You're kind of the first one in, often setting up the physical writer's room before there's even any furniture in it, and then you're kind of the last one there in post on the last day of the mix with your boss. Like, it's the longest job, which can be great in terms of stability, and also it's, an ama- I think, an amazing learning opportunity because you get to see the entire process from start to finish. Script coordinators, however, A lot of networks have these policies where they don't really bring the script coordinator in with the rest of the room. They start a few months later once there's more material coming out. Um, And for anyone who doesn't know, the script coordinator's main job is to proof and distribute all outlines, scripts, revisions, any material that needs to go out. Um, It's very detail-oriented, it's a lot of pressure, and I think it's a very challenging job. But I think that unfortunately, a lot of script coordinators end up kind of pigeonholed in that role because it is, it's the highest paid actually of the four support staff positions. It's a little bit more specialized. If you have experience in it, I think you can work a lot, which is great. But you're often a little bit separate from the room, especially like I know people who have been like, they have to work remotely as a script coordinator. They're not even like invited to really be a part mm. of the writer's office always. Um, so I think that it's tough and i think you have to work a little bit harder in that position to kind of be seen as a writer because you just don't have the access that say a showrunner's assistant or a writer's assistant has on a daily basis
3: yeah to, to piggyback off that every script coordinator i work with and know wants to be a, a writer as well
0: oh sure no absolutely
3: yeah they're often siloed um because they are they are literally the link connecting the writer's room and, and creative to production mm-hmm. you know so all the writing materials goes to this point, to the script coordinator, and then it goes like that to production. Um, so it's very detail-oriented. Um, I like to say this, the while the writer's assistant is usually institutional knowledge for the room, script coordinator, how the institutional knowledge for the scripts mm. and what actually you know goes in or out. Because uh, I know the shows I'm on, sometimes I'm like, well, this is what we did in the room, and I'll, with the script coordinator, I'm like, well, I forget, because like, it's been like now nine version, I forget what color revision we're on. And like, and she'll be like, Oh, this is what actually ended up in the script though. And I'm like, all right, great. Um, so, so, and, and yeah, I think script coordinator sometimes gets overlooked because it is so technical. It's probably the, it's not seen as creative, Hmm. I think by it, because, or, or this, the skills needed to be script coordinator aren't seen as creative versus some of the other positions. There might be a little bit more gray area. I, I don't. I, I don't know if I'm speaking there or some, some people may disagree, but I think because script coordinator is such a technical thing that you need to do, um, that's often maybe, and you're siloed. It's often, you can get overlooked sometimes. Right. Unfortunately, because, right. you know, there's that.
0: Um, and then going back to our previous topic, uh, writer's assistant. So, Ed, what does a writer's assistant do in the writer's room?
3: Yeah, I mean, they're general. It, it may vary slightly depending on the show, depending on the showrunner, their needs or wants, or how they want things organized and things like that. Um, but like I said, it is kind of institutional knowledge for the room. You are there uh, in the room every single day. Um, been some shows where you're on the desk on the side uh, and the writers from there. Some where you're part of the. You're sitting in the the round desk uh, with with the writers and you this skill, the, the the thing you need, you need to be an active listener and a pretty good typist, um, because you really need to, they're just spitballing, they could be there like eight hours a day, you know, give or take, just throwing ideas, blue sky, very specific, and you need to document everything that they're pitching and saying, um, and then when they leave, your work kind of really begins, because then you need to take your pages and pages and pages of all these thoughts and organize it in a way that when you send it out at the end of the day, when you send the daily notes, someone in the room can read it and make sense of it. Or more importantly, someone who's not in the room mm-hmm. often when um, when um, a writer is given a script, they often will be out of the room for a duration of time to, to work on his or her script, um, but they still get the daily notes. So they should theoretically be able to read that. Be like, got it. So when they come back to the room, there's no gap of knowledge. Um, And they could they could um, pick up right where we left off. Um, So essentially, that's the bulk of it is you're taking notes every day, organizing it, sending it out. Um, You will also when an episode is assigned, um, you'll then have to write episode notes uh, for the writer or writers of that episode and send it to them, uh, which is pretty much, you know, something that they can then use to create the outline. Um, And instead of having to look, oh, we spent a week six seven days break instead of looking at six seven eight pages of uh days of notes looking at one document it's like this is pretty much where we landed hmm. um and you know these are the beats that we had um you know the cards on the board and stuff like that this is where we landed these are some alts to some you know scenes and this is some dialogue that was pitched in a room that they really wanted you break that out in organized organized fashion um so their outline can hopefully go more smoothly um and and that's pretty much it's, you know, you might work on a season Bible a little bit. Sometimes that's siphoned between some support staff, depending on the show, depending on needs, what's going on time-wise. Um, but, um, but yeah, you need to take notes, active listening, be organized, and become the institutional knowledge for the room.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, okay. So I've uh, got another question here from SP, and I just kind of want to throw it out there. Um, Are TV writers and feature writers looked at differently within the industry? Uh, Before you guys answer, uh, I just wanted to say next Saturday, we do have a lit manager and a feature writer on who may be able to answer that question uh, differently, or at least from a different perspective. So that's next Saturday at 11 a.m., so an hour later than this one started, if you guys are interested. Uh, But anyone here, do you guys – have you guys – felt or seen about TV writers and feature writers uh, being looked at differently one way or the other?
1: I mean, I think Ed touched on this earlier Mm -hmm. about how I think more and more in TV, we've been seeing people get staffed from other areas, whether it's feature writers or playwrights Mm -hmm. or authors. Um, I think that's become very popular recently. But I think it's really it's just two different tracks. I don't really think one is more or less like respected or seen differently than the other i mean the last showrunner that i worked for um eric Heiser was a feature writer who then came to run a show on tv for the first time you know i think there's a lot of overlap in those different areas and i think that i think it's i think it's beneficial to kind of have different experiences and everybody brings something different to the table So I think really the biggest difference is just in the day-to-day, you know, whereas TV writers are looking for staffing gigs and looking for employment on shows, feature writers, you can kind of make your own path a little bit more. I think it's a little bit less um, straightforward in terms of the steps to take to get your next gig.
3: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'll echo. I think the paths have muddled, have been muddled over the years. I, I, you know, in talking to some upper levels who've been in the industry for 20 plus years, um, these are like back in the day, you were either a TV writer or a feature writer, and kind of these two paths didn't, you know, overlap. But that's over the last ten years, I feel like has changed a great deal. A lot of uh, like Aaron say, feature writers they have a big hit with a feature, and then they have a show a year or two later, and they're running a show, or you know, and there's some TV writers are are you know moving into the feature world. Um, so those paths have muddled, and I think that's also part of the way, reason why support staff is not as much of a direct line sometimes to being staffed is because often when there was a a position open for lower levels a support staff would be considered uh for that now sometimes it's a fee you know if someone had a feature they might be sliding in as it could be story editor or something like that but or higher you know depending on the feature but but um but yeah i think there's overlap now that there wasn't maybe 10 even 10 years ago there wasn't as much
0: And I'll add that it used to be people in television wanted to work in feature, like it was a higher level, but it's not the case anymore. In fact, a lot of feature people, everyone from Martin Scorsese on down, have TV shows or want to work in TV shows or, you know, shoot a pilot or whatever, because... One, the creativity, I think, allowed in television is different than in features, uh, as well as the money. When you have multiple seasons of a show, if you're fortunate enough, you can make a fortune in television. Uh, and and also features is much more limited. You have low budget features and then obviously the huge tentpole type pe- features. But that middle ground is sort of loose uh, because there's not as many like you won't see 70 million dollar theatrical romantic comedies these days very often. Uh, but you can absolutely have uh, a hit show on a network uh, that's of that nature. So um, it's, it's definitely become a little bit more gray, and I think a lot of feature people are moving to television. And in fact, a lot of reps like writers who are you know, interested in at least exploring both, not saying, I only want to do one or the other. Uh, not that that's necessarily bad on your end, especially if you have a preference, but a willingness to do both. Like if you have a feature sample and a TV sample, that's ideal because of the fact that I don't remember which of you mentioned, it might've been Shelby, that if an opportunity comes along, you want to be able to take it. You know, if somebody, you are going out, your support staffer, you're going out, or maybe all of you guys mentioned it, you're going out for for support staff jobs, you're trying to be a staff writer. But if somebody comes along and says, hey, do you happen, I'm, you know, a producer happens to ask you for a feature or you're, you're uh uh your manager sends you out and they love your pilot, but I'm doing a feature. I'm looking for a feature writer for an OWA. Do you have a a sample? So it's always good to keep those options open because they are intertwined now, you know. Um, You can definitely work in both, ideally. Um, Okay, so getting back to the writer's room, I just wanted to ask you guys, uh, now having been, each of you worked on multiple shows, are there anything that you wish you knew before you got into the industry that you found exceptionally helpful in this in your jobs and or things that you actually uh, know now um, that you think is especially helpful for your job in the future as, you know, a, a, a television writer? Uh, I'll start with Shelby.
2: Ooh, um tough question I you know I think how you represent yourself is really important because often like you're your own best advocate Mm -hmm. and if you aren't representing yourself confidently then it's hard for anyone else to believe in you and it's like you know it's like you don't want to be overconfident and like be like entering somewhere and be like please read my stuff and represent me sir or madam um you know <laughs> you want to like build a relationship with people obviously but I think you know I everyone can suffer particularly writers like from their own insecurities and you know one of the best pieces of advice I got from my first boss like she was just like you need to be like she's like you need like you you can't like self-deprecate yourself. Like you need to, you know, represent yourself confidently because you represent our company. And a big thing out here, particularly when you start working in representation is just like, if you mess up, like don't let anyone know, (laughs) like immediately hide it, you know, CYA, cover your ass. And um, I think like the best that you can sort of represent yourself um, you know, the better it is for you. Because I think if you're kind of like walking around like slump-shouldered and like, I don't know, does, that, does anyone think I'm good, you guys? Like, you know, nobody wants to be around a person like that. You, you know, just be confident in yourself. And which seems like such a weird, like, like hack piece of advice. But I think a lot of writers like kind of, they, you know, they need that piece of advice. Cause you know, a lot of writers can be quiet people and I think confidence is so key, particularly when you're, like, talking to, like, really rich, powerful white guys who think they can take advantage of you. Like, I don't know, just, like, you know, step forward confidently. That's what I say.
0: Yeah, if you don't believe in yourself, why should they, right?
2: Yeah, I know. My dad used to tell me that all the time. And I was like, shut up, Dad. And, you know.
0: (laughs) And they turned out to be right. Um, uh, Okay, Aaron, uh, how about you?
1: Well, I, I completely agree with what Shelby was saying. I think if I've learned anything, it's that you really have to be, especially honestly as a woman in this industry, I think you have to be your own advocate and you can't wait for anyone else to do that for you. Like if you're lucky, you will find people who will champion you in your writing, but you you need to do that first and foremost. And I think in terms of things that I wish I knew, I think that honestly, I knew it was going to be hard, like I was saying earlier, but it's been harder than I thought it would be. And I also think the industry has changed in ways that I couldn't have anticipated and I'm sure it will continue to change in ways that none of us are aware of right now in the next decade. And so I think you just kind of have to be prepared for a lot of rejection and some instability, which I think can be very difficult. Like I, in other areas of my life, I'm a very type A person. I like, being able to plan things out and do things a certain way. And this industry just doesn't always allow for that. And so I think it's good to always kind of, I don't want to say backup plan, but I think be aware of other streams of income you can have in a pinch that when you need them, I think be aware of your support system, just be aware of the fact that you kind of are always going to be looking for the next job. You don't really get to settle very often. And honestly, even from talking to friends who have been staffed, that doesn't really change even once you get to that level. Mm -hmm. You know, you still have to kind of always be looking for the next thing. And I think that that's definitely just something that I wasn't super prepared for. And I think also, honestly, the low pay and long hours is difficult. And I think, like, I'll be honest, I did not think that it would be 10 years and I would still be working support staff jobs, you know? And like, I, I'm super grateful for all the opportunities I've gotten, but I think it's just important to be realistic about the timeline and about that. You have to be patient and because there are no guarantees and one person's path is going to be completely different from another.
0: Mm -hmm. The 10 year overnight success, right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and, uh, Okay, so we do have one more question, and I think this is tailored for Ed, even though your name is not on it, it's sort of tailored for you. Uh, a career switch. Fia Y asks, what advice do you have for someone wanting to get into the industry at an older age, like a career switch since you started your career switch uh, and are hopefully near the, you know, that precipice right there? Uh, Ed, what is your advice for Fia?
3: Yeah. Um, hopefully. <laughs> Kevin, may, may, may I be, please be on the precipice? Because, yeah, after 10 years, you're like, I'm ready for it. But, um, yeah, I, I think knowledge is power. You know, that kind of is so, you know, we heard that a, a bunch of times, but it really is. I think you kind of, to do a career switch, you need to be willing to jump into the deep end, like right away, but also know what the deep end is, you know. Um, so you want to go into this with as much info that you can and what is and, and that I mean I don't know this person's scenario right now or what they do geographically where they are but I you know you have to know what like a tv writing writer's room does and not just like obviously they write and create story but what's the hierarchy you know um you know I, I meet a lot of people like I want to be a tv writer I'm like but that's great and they have no they have no idea like about the room or about like staff writer at, to take the EP and what each one does. And they, they, they kind of have this abstract idea, but like with the, you know, you, within a few hours, you can know of so much more with the internet um, and doing research. So I think it, and I only bring that up because you need to know like, okay, this is a long haul. Like many people like, I wanna be, I wanna write tea, I want my own show. And I think I could do that. You know, I just need to get it and write dance. And then in a year I'm gonna have my own show yes that happens you'll find you're going to find an example for that every once in a while deadline will publish and it's like overnight sensation but most of the people are like us you know that have been struggling for years people do
0: win the lottery but they do but they but but it's a
3: long it's like we've been struggling for 10 years to hopefully get into a room Mm. and then once you're in that room it's about working your way up a room and it's fingers crossed you're on a show that continues coming back and continues Continue getting promoted, but it's about seven seasons before you're at the top, you know. And so that is a long trajectory. So that's what I mean by going into this, knowing like this is the path, and knowing all that, it's still what I want to do. And if that, and if the answer is yes, and then, then go for it. And then it's about the the logistics. And I think too many people h- hook themselves on the dream of it, and like move to L.A. with like I have a hundred dollars in my pocket and a dream and you're probably not going to make it then, you know, um, so it's about the logistics. Okay. If I want to do this and this is, you know, what I did is like, I want to move out there in a year. So what can I do in this next 12 months? I got another job. I got the. So it's about trying to set yourself up for success for when you move. And part of that is the financial part of that is look at your friends, look at your social group, try to get involved, you know, in some groups that could help you when you're here, um, to, 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 with that networking aspect. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if that answers question
0: but it was a good answer to me um, so I guess what will first I have to say before I this last question here um Shelb, the lighting on you do you normally zoom like this because it's like movie lighting on you it's like I do you got little shadows going on in the background it's this bright sunshine on your face the rest of us you know just like a light in front of us I mean actually uh, on Aaron it looks good too but me and Ed it's just like this flat light <laughs> you know it's nice it's well lit at least I've seen some dark ones but but, yeah, I mean, Shelby, the light on you is like movie lighting. So if, if you're uh, – oh, you. you should be a I, I don't
2: have a ring light. I'm not an influencer yet. If anyone <sighs> has a TikTok opportunities for me to do a terrible version of a dance someone else created, <laughs> let me know. Uh, no, I have a really nice, like, big sliding glass door. And, yeah, but well, I, I feel weird when I Zoom like this because I have my laptop on my yeah. knee. I don't have a desk, and I, don't, I hate my dining room table because it hurts my butt um so i'm glad this is working out for everyone
0: yeah you should always zoom like that that's my advice and if you're listening to this podcast on the audio version you have to come back just to see the lighting on on shelby when you uh, uh watch it on youtube um okay so the last question here we'll sort of wrap it up we're nearing our our, our time limit here you all talked about coming to los Angeles. Television is los angeles based, and if you're in, if you want to be a feature writer, I've spoken to many managers. you can do it from you know sort of wherever you happen to be. you can get your start you can submit stuff to managers, they can get you out, you can come out a few times a year to take meetings, whatever it's easier if you're in Los Angeles, but you can do it. but in television, you sort of have to be in Los Angeles it's very very, very difficult to not be here to take meetings whether to try to get a job as a sports staffer or take showrunner meetings, whatever it happens to me, network meetings, pitch meetings. Okay, so you guys all made the move out here. I just want maybe one piece of advice that you guys have for, that you learned moving to L.A. Like what would make someone's life easier before they move to L.A., for their move to L.A. if they're planning on it? Uh, So Shelby, what's one piece of advice you could give to those out there who want to make that move to L.A.?
2: Well, my first thought was there's an Olive Garden in Burbank and in <laughs> Glendale. If you guys, you know, need that, there's that, that information. But all
0: you, you that what the bottomless pasta bowl. Okay. I
2: got. We got Olive Garden last night. That's why it was okay. The, on the we literally got takeout to go. Um, <laughs>
0: um, I heard that they had like some sort of year-long all-you-can-eat. Pass you pay I don't know a couple hundred dollars and you get like an all you can eat pass for all year so that would be good for somebody who's you know starting a
2: black card or something I don't know but whatever it is I want it yeah so someone has it it's like the Disney the secret Mickey Club at Disney like you have to know somebody and it's like the Illuminati like anybody can get me into that (laughs) um no my real piece of advice I guess you know it takes and this is this isn't even like writing or it's semi-career related, but when you move to a new city, like it's, it's, it's going to be like hard for a little bit because it's like, you're starting your life over. I think a lot of people, you know, they quit early because they're, they get, they, you know, they get done on themselves. They don't know how to make a life here yet. And, you know, I think my advice is like, it just, it takes a little bit of time and, You know, to be patient with yourself um, because, you know, it's hard and just, you know, like I said earlier, like join little communities wherever you can, like find your little favorite restaurants. Like I I moved here from Chicago. And so it was like Chicago is such a community of a city, like particularly because I went to college there, I would see somebody I knew on the train like every single time of every single day. And it was very weird to me coming to LA, like there's no, like not a lot of people take transit, you know, you're, you're in your car going from A to B, like, it's just not a social of a city. Um, and it's, it's hard to find your space here. Um, so I guess I would just say like, you know, give yourself time to make a life here and, you know, don't give up on yourself quite yet <laughs> if you feel like it, cause you know, um, I think everybody shares these, like, you know, the same feelings at some point of feeling a little bit lost.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, Ed, what about you moving to LA? Yeah,
3: well, two very quick concrete things. Um, Mm -hmm. One is study the geography, because if you were just moving here, we are so wide that you kind of want to find, and neighborhoods are so different, their personality wise. So if you can come out here to visit first and try to explore different neighborhoods to see where you fit in, that will really help. And not just that geographically speaking, you don't know where your next gig is. So I know people are like, oh, I love Long Beach. I'm gonna, I don't care where my next gig is. And then they have a job at Universal Studios and they hate their life for like nine months. Um, So, you know, you might wanna think about geography where I wanna live and what fits my personality. And to piggyback um, off what Shelby said, it's going to take a while I'll, I'll be honest la i've lived in la i've lived in dc and i lived in new york city for me la socially was the hardest city to crack um and what i mean by that is just to find your niche and find your your group uh, part of that is because it's so widespread and it's hard to meet people sometimes but part of it's the industry it's like when you go and you start meeting people a lot of people are like like they they have these these the shield and I get it because I have it too now sometimes the shield on them like what do you want from me like that's the energy a lot of people give um because everyone if you're here for entertainment a lot of people are like I'm trying to crawl my way up and 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 so for that reason I found it was hard to crack the city socially and I first year I was very lonely I was trying to do as much as possible and keep myself as busy as possible but I'm like I have like no friends but you know now almost 10 years later i have a lot of friends and i feel really settled and i love the city and this is my home um but it took me a, a year or two to to start feeling that um so you're to have to give yourself some time
0: erin
1: mm-hmm. yeah i mean i think everything that you guys just said is very true i mean i think find your community and i think try to tie that to where you choose to live like i know for me i moved to north hollywood because friends I knew who lived out here before me had lived in this neighborhood and I visited and saw it and I liked the idea of having a kind of nearby support system and I think also be patient with yourself in terms of finding an industry job you know I mean I know people who came out here and got a non-industry job well they started hunted for one you know I think that like for me it took about three months before I even got a temp job in the industry when I came out here And that was after a lot of applications. And so I think you just have to be patient. You have to know things won't happen overnight, but also, and I think this is a big part of why being in LA is so important. The industry moves very quickly. A lot of the times you'll get an interview and they'll want you to start the next day. Hmm. And so that's kind of why it's very difficult to not be here. And I do think I'm curious to see um, how life after COVID will may affect that because I mean, Currently, I'm in a writer's room where two of the writers are not physically in LA at oh. the moment. Um, they just because of the circumstances of the pandemic. And I don't, I genuinely don't know if that will continue to be a thing that is accepted um, once we go back to in person offices. But I do think that it's, there's a potential that we can see things start to open up a little bit outside the bubble of Los Angeles.
0: Mm-hmm. I obviously don't have any sort of crystal ball or insight into that in terms of with any certainty, but pretty much every writer, showrunner, or manager who represents writers and showrunners that I've spoken to all think it's temporary and that at least some sort of a hybrid part-time in a physical writer's room and part-time maybe virtual is likely, but very, very, very few people love working online all the time. And so nobody seems to think that that's like a permanent transition, like writers rooms will go virtual for, you know, that's like the new thing. So I think living in L.A. or planning to be here, if you want to work in television, is probably still the best bet. Um, uh, And I do have to say, actually, now under further review, I'm the one who's sort of flat and uh, the rest of you guys, actually, you guys have probably spent a lot more time on zoom and have done more with your lighting because you guys look great. It's just Shelby's is sort of artistic as well as very well lit. Um, But uh, so thank you guys all for your time. Where can people find you? Um, Aaron, uh, Twitter, Facebook, anything website?
1: Yeah. Twitter is the best place to find me. I know I've been mentioned, but it's um, at Aaron skate and I know you've mentioned me in the tweets about this. Podcast. Yeah. We have
0: links to, we'll have links in the description here. Um, Ed. Yeah. I'm technically on Twitter, but I, I, legit
3: tweet like three times a year. Um, so, but I am there. So you could follow me for those three tweets, sure. um, or send me a direct message there on Instagram. I'm Ed McCarthy underscore hi. Um, so you can follow me there. Um, or reach out to me there. Um, you know, I'm also on Facebook. So, you know.
0: There you go. Uh and Shelby.
2: Um, yes, unfortunately I am on Twitter. <laughs> 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 um, it's just at Shelby and low and I'm on Instagram too. I deleted my Facebook and it was the best decision of all time. <laughs> I highly recommend people do that for their peace and love in right. their life. <laughs>
0: Great. So thank you guys all for appearing and taking the time to speak with us today and offer your insights and advice and experience and wisdom. Uh, Those folks in the chat are all saying thank you. So I do thank you. And thank you guys for listening and watching. Uh, However you consume this, however you're able to. Hopefully you can take something away from it. Um, So we will see you guys next Saturday. If you guys want to come check out a writer-client relationship with Scott Carr, Uh, Lit Manager, and uh, Jonathan Stokes, screenwriter. Um, If you guys three could just stick around for one more minute, and we're going to end the chat.